0: way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
1: Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 10th, 2016. This is episode 1783 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, this is one you guys picked. It was actually the number one choice in the polling for Tuesday shows for this month. It is 20 items to add to your preps if you don't already have them. And it's going to be really cool. Um, I want to kind of start out with telling you what today's show is not meant to be. It's not a Jack mandate. It's not like Jack says, go buy all this stuff. But the following is true about every item that I'll cover today. I own it. I use it. I've tried other options. And these are some of the best you will ever find based on a cost-to-value ratio. And what I mean by that is I have a $1.99 knife on this list, a knife you can buy for a buck ninety-nine. My recommendation is to buy like a dozen or 20 of them and throw them in a drawer. I'll explain why later. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that's the best knife you can buy. I'm not. Um... You know, one knife that I always have on me, just to mean, almost every day, is my Empty Knives Genesis knife. That's like a hundred and fifty dollar knife. Um, I carry other knives that are upwards of five hundred dollar knives. So, I, I understand the value of an expensive knife, and I, I definitely recommend that you have a knife or two that are like those go to knives you long for your whole life and hand down to kids. But there's also a place for something cheap like this dollar ninety nine knife that you can get. You know, for you can get a case of them. And, and, and be out less money than you know a, a good beer and burger, and I'll explain that. So that's what I'm talking about when I say price to value, and that doesn't mean that everything that I have today is super cheap like that either. Uh, and some of the things that I have for you today are just really flexible and things that we don't think about uh, having. Some of them are the best-in-class that I know of, uh, a little bit more expensive, Some of them are things that we don't generally think of like as being a preparedness item, but really, absolutely, they are like a hose repair kit. And no, I don't mean one for your car, but I could certainly add that to the list. Or extra eyeglasses. Because if you, like me, rely on eyeglasses, there's certain things that are very difficult for you to do without them. And I'm going to tell you today how to get eyeglasses for next. For less than you would probably pay for, not expensive, but like a decent pair of sunglasses at like a department store. Prescription glasses sent to your house. These are the types of things I'm going to to cover today. I'm going to tell you about a book that was written in the 1800s that's in reprints today that if you tried to put it out as a new book today, you'd probably get sued called The American Boy's Handy Book and why I think that should be in every prepper's home and be part of your relationship you're building with your children. So this is going to be a fun show. It is going to give you kind of a shopping list, but it's up to you what you do with that shopping list and what items off it you decide that you need. And it's not comprehensive. In other words, there's a lot of stuff on here that's basic prepping stuff that everybody should have. It's not on my list because I would expect that preppers would already have been thinking that. And then there's some things on it that are... Like a flashlight that I recommend everybody have at least a couple in their home. I'm sure you have plenty of flashlights, but I'll give you a really basic one that I think belongs on you. Yet, I don't have in today's list an EDC tactical light or something like the uh, the Streamlight Stylus Pro, which I think is a great light. Uh, But I do have some EDC items. This is kind of giving me the feel for this, just a bunch of different things, a lot of variety, and the big thing I want out of today's show isn't so much you go, okay, these are all the things that Jack says I should have in my preps, so I'm going to make a list in an order, I'm going to buy all these things, because that's not an infomercial for this stuff. Again, this is all stuff I own and use. More what I want you to do is go, do I have that base covered? If I thought about it this way, and if not, then either this item or some other item might fill that void, or, you know what, I do have something to cover this, but I've never thought it before, and here's how I need to organize it. So that's my hope for today. Before we get into that, let's take a look at the year that was the episode for 1783, which is the episode, of course. I have three from Alex Shrugged at tspwiki.com. I have, it's the end of the world for some, all I want for Christmas is a new Prime Minister, and a national language for a national government. I'll just say that Noah Webster begins his work this year that creates the dictionary. Uh, it's not what he does at first, but that's what happens with that last one. I want to read It's the End of the World for Some, because it's so germane to what we talk about here from a preparedness standpoint. One of the most catastrophic environmental disasters of all time hits Europe. It begins in Iceland when 130 volcanic fissures open up near Mount Lakei and spew forth clouds of volcanic ash and noxious gases. 50% of Iceland's livestock are dead. 9,000 Icelanders are buried in lava or killed by poison gases. Starvation will run up the death toll to 20,000, which is about a third of Iceland's population. A haze of ash has risen into the sky and enveloped Europe. World temperatures drop, leading to a drought in India, a severe winter in the United States, and widespread crop failures throughout Europe. If you ever wondered why there were bread riots before Let them eat cake, the Let them eat cake French Revolution, now you know. The eruption will continue into next year, and also a series of earthquakes in southern Italy leaves about 50,000 people dead. There's even more bad news, but let's leave it there. My take by Alex Shrug, just as a reminder, Iceland remains unstable. There have been incidents in recent years, such as an eruption in 2010 that shut down air travel throughout Europe for almost a week. Sir Richard Branson complained that it was an overreaction, and it may have been, but in 1989, a KLM flight crew flew through a volcanic cloud and all four engines flamed out. The pilot reported KLM 867 Heavy, we are descending now, we are in a fall. As the plane plummeted to its doom, the pilot was able to restart two engines and limp to an airport in Anchorage, Alaska. It was a frightening ordeal, so the government decided to be more cautious the next time regarding volcanic eruptions. Predicting the severity uh, of a disaster in early stages is often difficult. Chances are that when the disaster is looming, you have a job, commitments, plans. You don't want to blow all that on a hunch or a worry, but if you wait too long, your options are limited. My wife complains that I tell her the disaster might occur. She gets scared, and then the disaster doesn't occur. I don't want to be the boy who cries wolf, so I prepare in the background and don't mention it as much anymore. What this makes me think of is something that's happened just today. I am a big fan of Dr. Greg Forbes uh, for his creation of the TORCON index, which is a relative indicator of the probability that you'll see a tornado in any given area within 50 miles of your location. So what that means is if your TORCON is a 6, there's a 60% chance that there'll be a tornado somewhere within 50 miles of your location if you're where that 6 is. Um, so I'm on his page today, checking out what does he say for us this evening? It's like a two to a three, which is relatively low, but it's still possible. And some guy's bitching that there was a six for his area and there were no tornadoes in his area, but not just forget that in the total area that, that Greg had mapped out, there was a complete, you know, outbreak of tornadoes yesterday. Right. But his particular area, he didn't get one. And, and my response to him was like, you know, dude, you talk like a man with a paper asshole. That's a saying my father taught me. You guys can chalk that one up and use it whenever appropriate. If you don't know what it means, just think about how well paper holds back something and what your ass holds back. Okay, so uh, But my, my point was, a 60% chance that something might occur is a 40% chance that it won't. So when I see a 4, I'm concerned that it's possible. Which means when I see a 6, I'm very concerned that it's possible. There's also a 40% chance which was equal to the one that had me concerned. Does that make sense? That's how we need to look at probables and potential disasters when they're being forecasted. There's times when I make my own conclusions looking at weather data and say, "Yeah, not here. This is you know, we're going to get we're going to get missed with it." And I've learned a lot about weather because it's important to me. But I still appreciate the people like Dr. Forbes to provide the best information they can based on the data that they have, especially when he remains so consistently accurate predicting things like a week out. Pretty amazing, actually. Just my thoughts on that. They don't really relate to history, but they do relate to, like, when somebody says something could happen and it doesn't, that doesn't mean it wasn't ever going to happen or it wasn't possible for it to happen. Just something to think about from a preparedness mindset as we go through today's stuff. Um, also want to tell you about the Bob Wells plan of the week today. Bob Wells plan of the week today is the Mayhaw tree. It's adaptable from zone 6 to 9. The mayha tree is a small native fruit. Showy tree primarily found in Bottomland along River's Edge. It's known for its love of water, but it will grow well in your yard or home garden as well. The mayhaw produces best in partial to full sun locations and self-fertile. Small cranberry-like fruits are highly priced for making the best jellies, preserves, and syrups. Eaten fresh, it tastes like a crab apple. Yeah, I'm wondering what it's going to taste like when you make a mead out of it, like a crab apple mead, but probably you know, put something else in there to balance that tartness like, like a, a, a mayhaw strawberry mead. Sounds kind of cool. Sounds kinda cool. I have one Mayhaw tree. I'll probably plant a couple more now that I have a wet spot created by my pond that seeps out through the damn wall. It's not really a damn wall. It's a damn wall, but it's not a damn wall. Get it? Anyway. Um so Mayhaw tree. That's something to consider as a link today's uh, show notes as always to the Bob Wells Plant of the Week. Every week, Bob brings us a plant that we can grow in our own backyard that's perennial and nature will come back for many, many years. Um, Next up, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day and then get right into it. Hey, if, if you're like me, you know what a gun without ammo is. We call that an overpriced club. That's why I go to BulkAmmo.com and keep a good stockpile of ammo for all my guns at all times. And it isn't just great price and availability that keeps me going back for more. Nope, it's lightning fast shipping and exceptional service. Give BulkAmmo.com a shot and I promise they won't let you down. Hey folks, when I started TSP over 8 years ago now, the first company to ever offer to sponsor the show was SafeCastle. And they've remained a loyal sponsor ever since February of 2009. And did you know they give away a lifetime discount membership to all MSB members? They do. And that can save you big money on everything you can imagine for your prepping needs. And with SafeCastle, I do mean everything. Everything. Check out safecastle.com today to learn more. All right, as we get into these items, I want you to know I haven't really put them in any kind of, like, um, categorical order or something like that. I just kind of went through them as I was thinking about things I owned. Uh, all of them, I have links to where you can find them online. Most, not all of them, are on Amazon and with full disclosure. If you click my link and buy that item or any other item from Amazon, yes, I will make an affiliate commission. Actually, Dorothy will because I run the Amazon affiliate programs for her, so she has a source of income. She does a lot of stuff with her farm customers and all, and people say, where do you get that or whatever. So it's really her book of business, so to speak. But that's full disclosure. But I'll tell you this. I don't care where you buy it if if you know you can get a better deal on it somewhere else, if you can get it at you know a, a store or whatever or you can find it used please do, I, I, I'm not asking you again to buy this stuff, I'm just making sure that you can actually look at exactly the item that I'm talking about know the item I'm talking about because at least in some of these instances there's a lot of things that look the same that ain't exactly the same and these are the products I own and use um, starting out I believe that one of the most important things we can do is keep our electronic devices uh, available during power outages, when we're traveling, when we're stuck somewhere, whatever. So I'm a big believer in having like an external battery pack for charging my phone, my iPad, things like that. And I've looked at all of them. I I really have. And I've looked, and Stephen Harris recommends some great ones. I don't think he recommends this one. I don't know if the... if it was even available when he made his evaluations of them. But of all the ones I've tried, when it comes to capacity, this thing's the bomb. And it used to not be so much the price value thing. Like it was easier to just get something that was like half as good for a quarter of the price and buy two of them. But now the price has come down. This thing originally listed at 150 bucks. Um, it And then it, it often sold at like $100. They lowered the price, you know. And then. Right now, it's on sale for fifty dollars, forty nine ninety nine plus shipping. It is um, the RavPower portable three port external battery pack um, for charging your smartphones and, and other devices. Basically, anything that charges, you know, with a USB on one end and whatever you have on the other. Um, I love this product because of the capacity. It will uh, charge an iPhone six ten times. It will charge an iPhone 6 Plus uh, six times. I'm sorry, it'll charge an iPhone 6 ten times. And the 6 Plus, the big one, six times. Uh, it is just the highest output thing I can find without spending stupid money. And it works. It just works really well. It has uh, t- about 26,000 milliamps of energy. It um, has three ports, so you can charge three devices at once. It has a two-amp input. And what that means is it recharges quickly when you charge it up with something else. It also has a smart charger technology built into it, which Steve would tell you is very, very important, so that it sees the device that you plug into, and it knows um, the optimal charging current to provide for that device. So it, it's just an all-around great item. The reason I think you need it is kind of obvious. Um, and if not this one, then you can go with a, a lesser-priced item, maybe one with less capacity, maybe two with about half. Two is one, one is none. That way you have, you know, they can go to different places and what have you. But I just think that at least every adult member of your family should have something like this because you can end up where you can't plug your phone into your car. You, you, you're stuck somewhere. And often what ends up happening in emergencies and disasters is you have, Times where you do have access to things like plug-in power and what have you. And with this, instead of just charging up your phone, you charge up your phone, you charge up this, you charge up your tablet, what have you. And when you're somewhere else, you now have this extended capacity. And if you think about an iPhone 6, which is what I have, um, and being able to charge that phone 10 times, and how long that phone already lasts, especially if you're not sitting there with the brightness turned all the way upstream in movies. Um, that's, you know a week or more of sustainability with your phone. Now, if you're charging multiple devices, of course, that that goes down. But I, I can't give you a better recommendation than this. And, and again, I'm going to say, if not this, then, then get some sort of a backup power. And I'm also a big believer, the same way Steve is, that you have a way to charge your phone everywhere. So you have one in your desk. You have a charger at your desk at work, if you have a desk at work. You have a charger in your car. You have a charger in your truck. You have a charger in your house on a table where your phone always goes and gets plugged in the minute you get home. Uh, I keep a charger for Dorothy and I on both of our little end tables on both sides of our bed. When we go to sleep, we plug our phone in. Our phones are seldom you know, redlined. But having this extension capability means that we'll, we'll probably never be at a point where the reason we can't use our phone is due to the, the, the fact that we don't have enough energy. With all the other redundancies we have, this portable power pack to me, it's just the best value to, to cost ratio that there is. So I recommend it highly. Again, uh, all of these are in the show notes today for today's show, episode 1783. But this is uh, Power Portable Charger 3-Port external, external Battery Pack with iSmart Technology 3-Port Charging two-amp uh, input to charge it up, so it charges up very, very quickly. Next up, I'm, I'm often asked about bug-out bags, and I, I, I talked about this yesterday. The way I feel about bug-out bags is your small portable bag, you take your most essential items, and what makes sense is to have a larger vehicle kit that stays in the vehicle that you can draw from if you have to to go mobile and choose what you want to take with you. So I've often often also been asked about like, what is a great large bag? You, you know, something that you, you probably don't want to haul around, but if you had to, you could. Um, tough and rugged. So it was about six or seven years ago. So when I first started doing, um, like, the expos and stuff like that, I, I was looking for a bag more as a travel bag that was really large capacity that also would let me carry it like a backpack because I would go to these expos and I would take, you know, 200 t-shirts, and tightly rolled them up and shoved them in one bag. And it was heavy as hell, but I could throw it over my shoulder in a backpack, grab my suitcase, and get to the rental car at the airport. That's when I found this bag. It's made by a UTG. It's called the UTG Ranger Field Bag. I am not going to say it's like rugged built like something from SOE tactical gear that John Willis's people make, but it's damn rugged. As I started looking more into it, because I really liked it, I found out that it is the favorite bag for people that do tactical airsoft play and uh, tactical paintball play to put all their gear in. Guys that are shoving gear in it every weekend, throwing in a car, yank it out, throwing in another car, yank it out. You know, just beating the hell out of it. And when you when you take a look at this bag, you realize for forty three bucks, which is what it costs. Uh, and free shipping, by the way, this item's on prime as well. It is a hell of a bag. and if all you're doing is loading it up with gear and keeping it you know in the back seat of the pickup truck or or what have you, and you're not beating the shit out of it, I, I can't see how it wouldn't last a lifetime. Uh, I wore out one so far and it was the one I was going to all the events and trainings and stuff with and really beat the hell out of it and airline security beating the hell out of it and always going through it and shoving stuff back in it and not fitting and then me putting heavy tools in it, uh, and using it like just sitting in the back of my pickup truck exposed to the elements, uh, you know, going out and doing stuff in, on remote land and stuff like that. And, and that's what it took to kill it. It is a huge bag. I mean, it is absolutely massive in size. Um, You can fit a ton of gear in it. And it does have, again, backpack straps. Now, if it's totally full up, especially with certain gear, it's going to be heavy. I'm talking, you know, 150, 200 pounds of capacity. But I'd rather lug 200 pounds of capacity on my back for a short distance than drag it with my arms. I mean, that's how, how massive this thing is. It looks a lot like those of you that served, that you had your, your green duffel bag, right? You did a duffel bag drag with. It kind of reminds me of that, but it's a better bag uh, than those green duffel bags. I don't know if they still issue those things uh, in the military, but I sure remember mine. And uh, when I found this, I decided this was something I wanted to give a shot because, what the hell, 40 bucks? I think back when I bought my first one, they were like $55. They've come down over the years like most things do. Uh, it's available in black and camo. It's just kind of, again, why I think you should have something like this. I think we should have larger vehicle kits. And even if they're not kits that are always in the vehicle, whenever we're taking extended trips or something like that, we have that type of, uh, of a kit with us. And with a bag of this size, not only can you have individual items stored in it, but you can take smaller bags, tool kits, first aid kits, et cetera, and stack them into it modularly. So that when you open this bag and you look in, you go, I need, I need my enhanced medical kit beyond my little kit that's in my, my day-to-day b- Bob or get-home bag. Boom, pull it out. And when you put it back, th- that spot's still there because it's, it's that kind of large capacity. And I think that's how you use these larger capacity bags. And uh, since it is so large, I know a lot of people maybe wouldn't want it in their, their vehicle all the time. But, like, those of you that have SUVs with that big open space in the back back there, fits in there just fine. Um, and it's nondescript. I like the black one better than the camo one. It just kind of sits back there, and it just looks like, you know, a a, a a bag of crap, basically. It doesn't kind of attract attention to itself. I like things not in camo in general, because camo says tactical guns stuff. What it says is pawn, pawnable. Okay, It's the same reason when I have like equipment like DeWalt equipment and stuff like that and it comes in its own packaging, I generally put it, when I'm putting it in vehicles or something for extended periods of time, in nondescript packaging because I refer to DeWalt tools as being pawn shop yellow. Whenever somebody sees that color yellow that's a thief, they know it can go to a pawn shop. When people see camo bags, they think sporting goods, guns, knives, money. So I like to stay nondescript with it, but your choice of color is up to you. But again, that's the UTG Ranger Field Bag. Next item I have for you is a flashlight that I've actually talked about on the show before. And it would be my best guess that there ain't a single person in this audience that doesn't have multiple flashlights and probably multiple good flashlights. And I mean, I'm the guy that when I go in a tracker supply or something like that, and they have like nine of the cheap LED flashlights that include batteries and like a clamshell that they have on sale for like 10 bucks, I buy one or two of those. And there's flashlights in this house everywhere. Every drawer, there's a two, one or two flashlights in it. In every glove box, in every mat pocket in the vehicle, these cheap lights. And if the batteries go to hell in them, uh, you know, sometimes they sell them so cheap, you just... You can get new ones and just kind of store them up. If you lose one, you throw batteries in it. And I think there's a place for cheap items like that. They are not great items. They are not, you know, the light that you want to use in a tactical situation. They're not the light that you want to use to check around. But when you need a light, and there's just a light there, right? They're good for that. I'm also a big believer in a good tactical light and a good rugged light. And in that search, I wanted to have a light that was multifunction. I wanted something that if we ever needed it, not to carry around in our pocket, but in our home, if we if there was a bump outside or something like that, I could pick up a light and go out with it and I would be able to see really well. I'd be able to disorient and blind somebody with the light if I found somebody on my property. I would be able to not necessarily shoot somebody if I didn't want to. I wanted a light that would double as as a blunt instrument to knock the crap out of somebody. And My hope was MagLite. And at the time I was looking for it, I was looking for LED as well because obvious reasons. Better uh, energy management, brighter light, etc. And MagLite stopped making four four D-cell lights and went to three D-cell lights. So that discouraged me. And then you used to be able to get um, tube extenders for mag lights really easy. I can't find them anymore. If you find them, let me know without paying more than the light's worth. It would allow you to go to, to four or six D-cells. Um, but three still a pretty hefty instrument. But the first LED mag lights were coming out, and I bought one, and it sucked. You got it. You put the the batteries in it. You turned it on. It looked wonderful and a little bit of use, and all of a sudden it started to dim down like the batteries are getting weak, and it would get dimmer, and you'd smack it, and it might get brighter. You turn it off, you wait a little bit, you turn it back on, it's super bright again, it would dim down. There was some problem in the first generation of them, this is several years ago, where what was happening is that LED bulb would heat up and it would dim. I don't know what they did, but they fixed it. And once they fixed it, that was my light. I would have at least six of these flashlights. There's one in each vehicle. There's one on the windowsill going out the back door the windowsill going out the front door and there's one right next to Dorothy's night table and one right next to my night table they are a very bright very affordable light they sell for 29 bucks okay free shipping on Prime they are fantastic And I'll tell you, it's not just the flashlight capability. This is a defensive tool. I want you to think about this. You have this flashlight in your right hand. You have it off. You have a confrontation with somebody, and what you do is you hold it up, and you use one of your fingers. You're holding it up by the lens with, say, your little finger over the button that turns it on. That person comes at you, and immediately you turn that light on, and you hit them in the eyes with it. And in a a quarter of a second between that light blinding them, crack, crack right in the forehead, or smack, right in the gut, or whatever. You disorient, and you impact. I don't want to do that to somebody, but I'd rather do that than shoot somebody if I don't have to shoot them. And, I mean, learning to use that tool as a weapon, and to use the combination of light and impact capability with it, doesn't take long. It it does take understanding impact and where to hit, because you can hit somebody very hard with something, and not get much of a reaction, especially when they're heated up. There's also places if you hit somebody with a with a 3D cell mag light, you are going to get a reaction. And knowing how to follow up and what to do next is important. But this light, I believe, is a good defensive tool. It's a great light. At 29 bucks, I recommend a couple of them at least. Again, I carry a small EDC light with me, and this is not that. But I'd rather use this in a situation where... I hear something, I grab my pistol in the middle of the night, and I'm clearing my own home. I'd much rather have this tool for that, and that's why I recommend it so highly. Next up, you heard me say at the beginning of the show that I carry expensive knives, and I do. So you may wonder why I carry an $8 foldable little knife with a utility blade in it. Well, that's because when I get a box of the mail and it's got big sticky nasty tape all over it and I want to slice that box open and slice through all that disgusting tape that's going to stick to it and whatever, I don't want to take my beautifully sharpened knife that I'm going to rely on in a a serious situation and dull it and mar it up. So I pull out this thing called the Gerber EAB, which stands for exchange the blade, and I like the light model. There's not much difference between the, the regular one and the light, except I think the light one looks cooler. Because it's got a little, a little skeletonized handle, which gives you a little bit more gripping surface. Um, this thing is absolutely tiny. When it's folded up, you clip it to the inside of a pocket. You'll forget that it's there. You can also use it as a money clip. This is my one problem with this product, though, okay? But at $8, bucks, i am willing to overlook it. If you use it as a money clip, it will only be a matter of time before the little clip comes off the back of it. They, they're ju- it's just not that rugged where the little steel uh, tension clip hooks to the back of it. If you use it just by clipping it to the inside of your pocket, so the clips to the outside and the little knife things to the inside, it's absolutely going to last a long time. And the way I look at it, if one of them lasts a year for 8 bucks, I get another one. The whole point is it's disposable. You take one little screw out, take a standard uh, utility knife blade, you know, razor blade, uh, and you replace it. And the other nice thing about it is since you're basically using one side of the blade, just like any utility knife, you take the screw out, you flip the blade around before you get full use out of the blade. Given you can buy, um, you know, a 100 of these utility blades for about 10 to 12 bucks, and I'll put a link to where you can get the blades, too, in a, in a large pack, then you really start to see the, the versatility of this tool. Now, again, why? Because you always have a razor-sharp knife available to do certain things that you may not want to use your better knife for. It's not a perfect knife. Obviously, when you're talking about a small utility knife – if I was doing a lot of, you know, cutting of carpet or material like utility material like that, I would rather have a full-sized utility knife just so I can bear down on it more. It's not like something that's easy to open with one hand. In fact, I recommend you don't try to do it because there's a the potential to cut yourself on your thumb doing that. This is a two-handed open tool. It does have a lock. It is what it is, but it's always there. It's always sharp. It's always available. And you'll find that you'll use it for those abusive things you don't want to use your main knife for. And you'll find that you really don't care if it gets dull because it takes about 10 seconds to pop a screw out, pop a new blade in, and fold it up and throw it back in your pocket. And I pretty much have a rule with mine. About once every two weeks, whether I think I need to or not, I throw the blade away. Now, let me give you one little, this is a suggestion, but I think it's a good one. When you're throwing away a utility blade, a lot of times it is dull on like both points, but the center is still really sharp. When I throw away a utility blade, I take a little piece of uh, masking tape or duct tape, tear it off, and I cover the edge with it when I throw it in the garbage. Just so I or somebody else that might be handling that bag doesn't have it poke through and get cut. I would hate to see one of my animals, a garbage guy, anybody hurt. So you don't have to do that, but I think that it really makes a lot of sense. And I definitely recommend you make the EAB part of your everyday carry. Uh, And I'll I'll tell you what, a lot of people said I don't really need it, I have my own knife, whatever, I'm not afraid I know how to sharpen a knife. Everybody I know that's ever started carrying one is like, I'm carrying one of these for the rest of my life. So that, that's I, I don't know how I could make a higher recommendation. If you have, like, people in your life that you're buying, like, little gift items for or around Christmas time or whatever, these are great. Again, uh, they're about 8 bucks, and you can get 100 blades for $12. I'll, again, I'll have a link to both in the show notes today. This is another one of those items I have in a lot of places other than my pocket, too, though. Like, I have, you know, one in my tackle box, but I have a lot for fishing. I have small... Purpose-built little like mini tackle boxes, like the little clear plastic ones, and pretty much every one of those I've thrown an EAB in there because they fit. You know they're about the size of a fishing lure. Uh, Some of my little packs that I might just go fishing and I might have a knife on me or whatever, but you wouldn't be able to put a fillet knife or, or a full, you know, even a cheap folder in there. These things will fit. I just really, really like them for the overall utility and the fact that you don't care if you break one or one wears out. Just be careful, no one handed opening. That's my suggestion. Um, Next up, and this is not on Amazon, the best price I found on this item, because these sell for like five bucks on Amazon, um, but the best price I found on them is kind of a really cheap website with a lot of good deals on it uh, B U D K. And the knife is called a Wahoo Killer. This is. This is how I learned about this knife, and it was really an interesting coincidence. So I was in Florida last year, and I was out on a boat with a guide, and he was cutting some bait, and he was using this really cheap knife that I had seen at the bait shops, and they sell in the bait shops for like three three ninety nine or something like that. And uh, I asked him, I said, oh these are great, they're like less than five bucks, and you know when I wear one out, I just get new ones. That way there's always a sharp knife on the boat, and I don't worry about it falling overboard or whatever so I, I I thought for under five bucks, I should pick some of these up, and I was going to, and we just I just didn't during the trip, which actually turned out to be a good thing. So I get home and and literally my first day back at work from vacation, a listener emails me and says, "Hey, I found these knives that look an awful lot like Amora. they're cheap made in Chinese, but they're sharp, and they're only two bucks a piece. I thought you might be interested in them." So he sends me a link, and I, I click on the link, and it's the same knife. So I go and I buy like two dozen of them, okay? I mean, it's like 48 bucks for two dozen knives. And in my one part of my cabinet, we have these little pull-out drawers. I just threw them in packaging, you know, never even took them out of the packaging in there. And when my wife wants a sharp knife and I don't like her using my knives, like my Cutco's and my, my Santos and stuff like that because, well, my wife is abusive to knives. She, she really is. Pull one out, here you go. Don't care if you mess it up. Don't give a damn. This is another one of those. This is a more substantial knife. This looks a lot like, it's about the size of like a Mora number two, but it's more like the Mora's that are, you know, rubber handled. And basically what it is, is a Mora clone made with cheaper steel. But they do come out of the package absolutely razor sharp, and they do hold an edge quite well. And because they're cheap steel, if you if you do put a, you know just a sharpening steel to them as you're using them, they stay sharp for a very long time before you need to think about a stone. But here's why I say to have like a dozen of these at least. Do what I did. Get a bunch of them. Throw them in a drawer. You need a sharp knife? There's always one there. You don't have time to sharpen a knife right now? There's always one there. You have a friend coming over. They're going to help you with cooking or food prep or something like that or slaughtering chickens or something, and you don't want your good knife jacked up? Hand them one. It's two bucks. You don't care. When they get dull, throw them in a little plastic scabbard. They come in. They come with a cheap scabbard just like the Morris do and put them in a box. When you get around to it, go ahead and sharpen them back up and throw them back in a drawer, or buy some more. It's up to you. But it's it's, it's the, the utility of something that's so inexpensive, that's always there, and if you have something going on where you have multiple people helping, and you want everybody to have a sharp knife, and a relatively small knife that you're not that likely to cut yourself with food prep or whatever with, because like some knives with upswept front blades, like a butcher-style knife or whatever, People that are not good at handling knives almost inevitably, you know, cutting a carrot or something will cut themselves with. I just think for the price, this knife is so ridiculously cheap for what it is. You should use it as like the ultimate backup. Like I said, I bought two dozen of them. I think we've gone through about five at this point, four or five. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll pull pull one out of the drawer uh, and just kind of check and go, that. That you know, I didn't put the steel on it quick enough. That needs to go to a sharpener. Boom! In the box, pull another one out and put it in the drawer in the in the scabbard. The nice thing about that scabbard, this is part of my issue with my my wife and my knives, my my really nice knives, right? Is that she just like kind of throws them in there and the blades touch together and like ah no, right? So it's basically like she's been banished from my knives. And but these do have that scabbard, so you keep them in that scabbard in the drawer. They don't cling around with each other. So, it's just absolutely for two bucks. Fantastic. Is it a cheap knife? Yeah, but that's kind of the point. Uh, I'll have a link to BDUK where you can get them. B U D K. So, when I'm on this site and I'm about to order all these knives, I, I, I decided to check around. This again was last year. And I've always been a big fan of having, you know, EDC items that serve multiple functions. Uh, I like to keep a lot of stuff on my keychain. My keychain I have, you know, like everybody does, a fob uh, that's made from paracord. Uh, I have one of the old-style military can openers. I've got a bottle opener because, you know, you never have that emergency. Um, and I, so I just, like, looked around on it. A lot of it is cheap junk. Well, another item that I found at BDK is a UST base case, uh, half-inch aluminum storage titanium. This is like a big pill bottle. It has a rubber gasket. It is made of titanium. Great O-ring gasket, like I said. Screws tight, stays tight, and it's got enough capacity to fit at least two cotton balls in it. That's the main thing I have it on my keychain for, along with a ferrocerium rod for fire starting. But I can think of a lot of things you could keep in them. They're three ninety nine. This is another item. I I I found this item on Amazon. I'm not putting my Amazon affiliate link in it because they're about six bucks or more on Amazon, depending on who you get them from. They're four bucks from BDK, so I have a link there. But you can get any item like that, and I'm a big believer in having those little containers, including you know, I have some little small items. For like fishing kits and stuff, then I think they're better off in something like this. So even if they're not on my keychain, I have in one of my fishing kits two of these linked together by their own keychains with small hooks and sinkers and stuff like that. And I know they'll stay dry. So my, you know, if I, if I go to use that equipment, it's not going to have all my hooks rusted or my leaders rusted or things like that. And there's tons of things that you can do with them. So, I kind of leave it up to you what you 'd want to do with them, but when I realized I was going to talk about the Wahoo knife, I decided to make sure that I included those cases because I found them there as well. Uh, moving on, I really recommend that you have in your at your home, in your bags, and in your vehicles some re- releasable cable ties zip ties. Um, the best ones I have found I have a fifty pound working uh, rate. They're made by a company called Monoprice, and uh, they are very small. They're only about 6 inches long. I've looked for longer ones. I've found longer ones. They say they're like 50-pound strength. They're never as good as these ones. This company did make these in a 10-inch, but they've been discontinued, and because they're discontinued, even though there's still some out there, I don't feel that I can recommend them because you may not be able to get them. The 6-inch ones sell for 100 pieces for 6 bucks. Okay, six dollars and forty three cents uh, with free shipping. I mean, this is another example of something that sells with free shipping on Amazon. This is this is why I love them and this is why I like them more than zip ties because they are reusable and because they're six inches. I don't care. I take two of them, put them together. I got a twelve inch. Put three of them together. I got eighteen inches. I can just put them together and I can take them back apart. I use these things for everything. I use them for making simple, basically like Yankee gates for my walkthrough gates for my birds. I use them, I'll take four cattle panels and I'll use three in each corner and I'll zip tie cattle panels together and make an impromptu chicken tractor. That's just an example of what can be done with them. Anything that needs to be held in place, as long as it's not going to get really hot, like a part on a car. Let me tell you a zip tie story. Um... But I don't recommend this, but it could be done responsibly. This was not done responsibly because I wasn't told. I had a friend in the Army named Dean, and he had a pickup truck. that was like the the truck for our, our unit that anybody that, if he wasn't using it, he'd just throw you the keys and let you run to the PX or whatever with his truck. I also had a good friend named Brad, and Brad and I were both ready to kill Dean. Uh, so, Brad borrows the truck in the morning, I borrow the truck in the afternoon, you're hauling ass, you're a stupid young 19-year-old soldier, so you drive fast, especially with somebody else's vehicle. We both, you know, used the vehicle that day, and he goes, I should have told you guys what I did to the truck. Okay, tell us what you did with the truck. The tie rod broke, and I put it together with zip ties. So, Brad and I go look underneath the front wheel of the truck, and he's got, like, six plain old, you know, nylon zip ties, the tie rod on the passenger side wheel, and the tie rod, for those that don't know, is like what holds the wheel when you steer, okay? And it's how you adjust the, the caster and camber of the, of the wheels for alignment. And if the tie rod's off, basically that wheel can just kind of flop to the side and, you know, go off the road and die. Well, he had zip-tied it back together until he could get the part in to fix it. It wasn't, you know, Panama wasn't exactly a place you could just get parts for a Ford truck like that. And it did work, but we were driving it recklessly. However, after seeing that, if I had that problem and I was stuck somewhere remote, while I would be very careful and ginger about the way I drive, since that part doesn't heat up, I would have no problem doing a repair like that for a temporary situation to get myself to a point of safety. That's one example of what you can do with a product like this. Because it's reusable, it makes a lot of sense. If you have like a a temporary gate to fix or something like that. So another thing I've done with these, and they're black and UV stabilized. And if you're using them heavily, like as a gate latch, they last about a year. They'll last longer if you're not constantly taking them on and putting them off. But everywhere along where I have gates and stuff like that, I just have like six of them zip-tied to the top of the gate, just hanging there. So if I'm out and I need one, they're just there. I keep a little bundle of them on, on my little tractor. I keep them in the glove box of the truck. I keep them in the glove box of the SUV. Uh, when I used to be a boater, I had them in the glove, you know, the glove box of the boat. They're definitely in my bug-out bag. They're definitely in my larger kit bag. They're just so flexible and so usable for so many things, and yet their reusable nature obviously makes them uh, quite efficient. And this is kind of what I'm trying to get at today. Everything I'm telling you about, while well, it's a good preparedness item, is a good everyday use item. This is one of those as well. I have a link to the ones I'm talking about in the show notes today. Next up today, I've I, I really tried to bring you items I haven't talked about a lot in the past, especially recently. So like the EAB I've talked about years and years ago, but I haven't talked about it much recently. This one I've talked about a couple times recently, but I could not leave it off the list. Um, it's the Camp Chef Ranger 2 Tabletop Stove. It's a two-burner. Uh, propane stove, and I would definitely recommend you get the adapter with it so you can use a full you know, 15-gallon propane-style tank with it because that would give you a long, long time of cooking capability with it. Um, I'll tell you why I recommend this. It's what I just said. I want people using items for preparedness that are also everyday items so that you're familiar with it. I firmly believe if you buy one of these, especially if you have an electric oven, Right, an electric stove, and you take it out on your porch and you cook with it, you will use it frequently. The only reason I don't basically have mine outside set up permanently is I have a gas range. If I had, When I was in Arkansas, I had an induction top stove. We didn't have gas there. and uh, I was going to bring gas in, but when we decided we were going to move, I decided it wasn't worth doing. Um, I used it all the time because... If I was cooking and I wanted to cook higher temperatures, more control, whatever, it it just put, you know, this little $100 tabletop stove would put a $700 electric range to shame because gas is just that much better. Um, I'm thinking about figuring out how to set, I really want to set up more like an outdoor kitchen for myself, and when I do, this will be part of it. Uh, because I do cook out so much, so that when I am grilling, I can still use this. Uh, I think it's much better than a side burner on a grill or something like that. It's compact. It's easy to take with you. Uh, it's not something you're going to backpack camp with, a car camping table, uh, what do you call it? tailgating camping, things like that. Just fantastic for it. It will run on the little the little bottles, and I think that's good, because you can always keep some of those in case you have to go somewhere you don't want to drag the larger tank with you with. Uh, but I do recommend the adapter so that you can use, uh, in fact, this is the other way around with these. The way they come, they're set up to be used with a larger tank, and you have to buy an adapter for the small bottles. And I'll have a link to the small bottle adapter as well, because I think that flexibility is nice. Um, very, very nice to be able to take it without, you know, your big grill size tank. Let me say, I also recommend if you have a gas grill, If you have things like this, if you have the use of propane, that you get yourself multiple propane tanks, you know, buy one a quarter and get it filled up, and do that until you have, you know, six, eight of them. Uh, I have them. People come here like, oh, you're out of gas on the grill, that sucks. I'm like, oh, don't worry about that. You know, (laughs) just go in the garage and there's a a row of them, and uh, they're. It's just a better way to go. It's just a better way to go. Let me also say this. Find a place to refill your propane tanks. Don't do the cylinder exchange. You get ripped off on that. Um, there's my feed store, and now Tractor Supply here, finally. Does, I have like the only Tractor Supply that didn't do it, so both of them do it. If you, This is the point for cylinder exchange. Yours looks like crap, and you want a new one. Or sometimes you go to get your cylinder refilled, and there's a serial number on it. And once they're after a certain number of years old, yeah, we're going to die, it's going to explode, it's out of spec, whatever, okay? The the people that refill them for you will no longer refill it because the government says so. There ain't nothing wrong with them. There ain't nothing wrong with them at all. It's stupid. But fine, they're not going to do it. They just work for minimum wage or whatever. Don't yell at them. You take that tank, you go do your cylinder exchange with it, and then from that point on you go get that one refilled. But this stove, I again, I do believe that many of you, if you give it a shot, will figure out a way to pretty much set it up permanently outside with some kind of cover so it doesn't get nasty in the elements, and you will use it all the time. And that means if you need to cook because the electricity's out, it, you will be completely familiar with it. And you will use it when you camp. Um, you know, being able to make eggs for breakfast when you're camping is pretty nice. This thing is the best... like it I've ever used and for a hundred bucks it's a steal again a hundred dollar tabletop camping stove that put my eight hundred dollar induction range to shame when it came to being able to cook you know that way so I, I really recommend this item super super highly and again I'll have the adapter for the small bottles with it as well the next one is like a twofer um, I believe everybody should have a chainsaw. I also believe two is one and one is none. And I also believe gas chainsaws have a tendency to not want to start or run well when you need them most. Now, if you're a person that uses a saw every day or a couple times a week, then a good, like Husqvarna or steel or what have you, um, commercial grade gas, it's probably going to start because you're going to maintain it all the time. If you're a person like me, that I might use a chainsaw a lot for two weeks, and I might not use it again for six months. Um, a lot of times, while that saw sits, if you don't have the mental discipline to start it up every couple weeks and play with it, it just isn't going to run well for you. And that's just the, the facts. The other thing, you, there's, there's certain things that a chainsaw has to be able to do to work well, and one is it has to be sharp. So about three years ago, Oregon came out with a cordless 40-volt electric chainsaw. And Stephen Harris said, no, do no. no. And I looked at all the reviews and said, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I bought one. It is fantastic. It is fantastic for small work. And I've dropped some trees that are, you know, six, eight-inch diameter oak trees. It will cut live oak really, really well. It is not the most powerful thing out there, but this is the beauty of it. You take it, and you pull this lever up, and you run it, and sparks fly out of it, and it resharpens itself. And will that chain wear out eventually and need to be replaced? Yep, it sure will. But the time you'll save not sitting there with a file sharpening it is is well worth it. Now, this is not a saw for use in every day. This is a saw for the average homeowner that needs a saw when just – I'm looking out my window right now, and one of the ash trees by my pool, we had some severe – non-severe weather Sunday – uh, so we had all the severe weather, no damage, right? We had our non-severe weather event Sunday, and a huge limb broke off and fell right next to the pool in the deck, and thankfully it didn't hit the pool or the deck because it was large enough that it would do damage. I'm going to use my Oregon Chain saws to clean that up, to play with them and compare them. Here's why. So the, 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 cord, the cordless one that I have is the first generation. It was over $400 when I bought it. Like 450 bucks. with the because it either with a 2.4 amp hour or a 4 amp hour battery. I bought the 4 amp hour battery. It had a 14 inch bar. And if you know chainsaws, you'll have a place where the, the side cover loosens up. And then you'll have a little screw that tensions the, blade, the, the chain. And the chain needs to be taut but not too tight. And so that's how this one worked. And usually when it stops cutting well, your first instinct is the chain is dull, but what I've seen inevitably with my saw is when it stops cutting well, the first thing to do is check the t- chain tension. And so you have to have a screwdriver, and you loosen the side cover up by hand, and then you put your little screwdriver in there, and you turn that little tensioning screw, and it's kind of funky the way you have to do it. You're kind of pointing in like you're pointing on the inside of the bar, which is the piece that the chain goes around. And you tighten that chain up, and then you tighten down the cover, and you start cutting again, and then it gets, you know, stops cutting after a while, and you check and it's loose again, and that's your main issue, and that's all chainsaws. You you tend to have that problem. So about a year and a half ago, Oregon came out with a plug-in version. Uh, This one had more power because it was plug-in instead of running off a battery. It had a 16-inch bar. And it was only $128. I'm like, bang, I'm getting one of those two is one, one is none. I've got my Stephen Harris battery back in my truck. I've got I can plug straight into that idle of the truck. I've got unlimited power. I've got power all over the property for limbing trees and stuff like that, or cutting firewood, uh, and I don't have to worry about the battery wearing out. And it looked like it had some improvements. It comes in and the side cover now has two little things that screw. One, you you, you used to tighten and loosen the cover that holds the bar. And the other one is a chain tensioner. So you can tighten the chain with no tools whatsoever. You turn the one to loosen it. You turn the other one to get the t- chain tension the way you want. And you tighten it. And it's done. This was the other thing I loved about it. The 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 battery one I have, and I don't know if the new version of the battery one does this or not. When you're, you're cutting with it, you, and you let go. Just like a regular chainsaw, the blade keeps spinning for a while. And there's a, there's a, a, a chain break that works just like a gas saw. You can push out with your, your left hand to stop that and to make sure it won't happen when you're cutting. The, the plug-in version, when you let go, the chain stops instantly. Most people that hurt themselves with a chainsaw break the rule of always two hands on the saw, and they generally, since you need one hand on the saw... To, to hold it and steady it in one hand to push the button. They generally do it when after they've they've stopped cutting, they let go with their, their trigger hand, and they 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 come across that blade somehow while the chain's still spinning. And that's if you don't cut yourself in the legs or something like that. And chainsaw safety is important. I I can't get into it today. But there's been a lot of injury. My father in law did this. He waved to somebody using a chainsaw and the blade was still going and it, his two fingers went across the top of the bar it was horrific damage it was amazing the way he healed honestly for how bad the cut was this saw eliminates that because as soon as you let go it stops powerful self-sharpening easy to tighten and as soon as i saw it i said oh i bet they're going to upgrade mine and uh, you know now i'm locked into it cuz it's expensive I don't know if it has that automatic chain break, but it does have that cover, and they've gone to a 16-inch bar with it. It's still using the same batteries. I don't know if they've changed anything else. I'm going to inquire with Oregon and see if maybe people like me that have this can upgrade to the 16-inch bar and the cover if it will fit our existing saw. What I figured they were doing is cleaning out their inventory before they made the improvements. That's what looked like happened. Either one of these uh, would be a great investment, but I think the plug-in one is so cheap that it would be something I'd recommend. And I know what you're thinking, Jack, let's say trees are blown down, I need to clear them out, power's off, and I got a plug in chainsaw. Okay, I think you should have a generator. I mean flat out. I think you should have a generator capable of running this saw. Um, and you wouldn't have to have a super duper generator to be able to run this saw. Most of you know what people would have as a good backup generator for their home would definitely run this saw. If you have a battery backup system in, in your truck box, like I do, you can definitely plug into that 3,000 watt inverter, and bing, you, as long as you keep that truck running, you're going to be able to run that saw quite a bit, at least enough to clean things up. But again, daily use. So uh, if you if you want to make the investment and and buy the the cordless version. I certainly would tell you that it would give you greater flexibility because you can have your battery, and I have two batteries for mine. And frankly, two of those batteries running that saw until they're both worn out, I'm done cutting for the day anyway. But the, and again, I haven't used the cordless one, the new version of it. But the the power of the plug-in saw is unbelievable compared to my battery version of this. But again. Self, anybody can learn to, 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 to use, do the maintenance on this saw in a day, on their own. Uh, I, I think with the new version, again, I don't know if the cordless one has this. I haven't been able to confirm it or not. But the plug-in one with the automatic chain breaking is one of the safest saws I've ever used in my life. No chainsaw is perfectly safe, but this thing's safe. Because if you get kickback with this saw, and you, as soon as you, as you let off the, the trigger, it's going to break. And that's huge in itself. And I've seen with the cordless one, if you do get any kind of kickback, it has an internal braking system as well, even the older model. So I know I went long on this one, but I, I really think that a chainsaw is an incredibly valuable tool for anybody that owns their own property, does their own maintenance and stuff like that, and can be very useful. With the plug-in version alone, when I go anywhere with my, my pickup now, the, you know I'm you know, going to be gone for a while hunting or whatever, that chainsaw goes in the toolbox extension cord goes in the toolbox, and I'd clear a road. I have no doubt i clear a road with that saw. So it's a really, really valuable thing to consider. On that note, I really recommend that you have a portable air compressor in your vehicles to fix your tires. So you can buy really cheap ones. They're okay. The one I recommend is about 150 bucks. It's, it's, it's made by Vi Air. It's a 300p portable compressor. I actually have the one that sells for about twice as much because I have these huge tires on my F350, uh, which is like the big big daddy version of this one. But this would probably be good enough for me. In fact, they didn't have this one when uh, I bought mine, when I made the larger investment. Now that they have it, I've checked out the reviews on it. I'm confident, based on the one I have, that it would work well for you. there's nothing worse than being stuck on the side of the road when you don't have to be stuck on the side of the road. Flat tires cause that to happen. With a good compressor, a lot of times if you come out, your tire is really low, but it's not completely to the ground flat, and you have a slow leak. If you have a compressor like this, you can fill up your tire and you can get somewhere to get it repaired without you know putting the spare tire on, what have you. Okay. Um, in most instances with flat tires, you usually have a puncture. That's why the next item on my list is a plug kit. And a lot of people have a lot of mythology about plugs. They work just fine. My father sold tires. That's what he did for 20 years of his life. And I worked in a tire shop as a kid before I was even a teenager. Right? And then I was a mechanic in the military. Plugs work just fine. I saw my uncle one time get a flat with his Jeep. And we're trying to figure out what it is. And we look and we see this big black thing sticking in the tire. What the hell is that? We get a pair of pliers and pull it out. It was a freaking screwdriver that somehow ended up in the road, and it ended up hitting the tire just right. And it was was embedded to only like a, a couple, maybe a half inch of the handle was still sticking out. So the whole handle was in the tire. We pulled it out. Like, I don't know. We threw a plug in it, aired the tire up. It held. He drove it for like three weeks before he went and got it, you know, patched. And it probably would have never failed. My dad, as a used tire guy, had people come in all the time that were broke, really couldn't afford a new tire yet, nail in a tire, plug their tire for five, ten bucks back in the 80s, and tell them, you know what, you'll be good till you're ready to get new tires. And they were. Never had anybody come back and say I failed. So a plug kit to go along with this. The reason I recommend that you step up to something like the ViAir 300 over these little cheap ones is I've seen a lot of those little cheap ones. They'll get air enough in a tire to get you down the road, but they really won't actually put the tire up to its full pressure. They'll, they get hot, they shut off, you know, or they just don't have the power. If it plugs into a cigarette lighter, it doesn't actually have much power. You can only draw uh, a, a, about 125 uh, across that cigarette before it'll pop its own fuse. This product and the bigger products that Vire makes, you lift the hood up on your vehicle and you take clamps and you clamp it straight to the battery. This is a higher power device that's why it can handle what you're asking it to do. It's got long cords and it's got a really great uh, fold up kind of like spiral air hose. And even with my big truck, I can clamp that uh, tool to one of my batteries in the front of the truck and I can I can go around I can reach every tire on my truck, which is a long-bed King Cab F-350. So if I can reach every tire on the vehicle, most of you, I think, should unless you're driving a bus or something, should have no problem doing the same thing, and they do make an extension tube for it. So I really recommend the ViAir, and I recommend a plug kit. And I recommend you just watch YouTube and learn how to use it. The plug kit I have recommended for you is the Victor uh, kit. It's got eight it It's got eight plugs. It's got the coring tool and the plugging tool. And basically the way you use it, the, the coring tool looks like an awl, an an owl, right? It's a point, and it's like a little file on it. And you, you stick that in the hole, and you kind of move it back and forth, and that roughs the sides up and cleans up the hole. And then you put a plug in the plugger, which looks like a, a sewing needle with an open end, you push the plug in most of the way, and you quickly pull it straight out. You don't twist it. And the plug will be sticking out, it basically fold in half and be in that hole. And then you trim it flush to the tire, and, you, and then you fill your tire up and go on your way. 90% of people with flat tires, 90% will be able with a plug kit and an air compressor to fix their problem good enough to not worry about it today. Okay? You know, you, this is something you can now worry about tomorrow. That's fantastic, and that's worth the investment. And one time, not sitting on the side of the road waiting for AAA, or not sitting on the side of the road with a with a, a crappy jack under your car and cars flying by you that could knock your car on you and kill you. Because you could pull off to the side of the road with this. You could, you know, Most of the time when you have low tire, if it's not completely down to the ground, you could air it up enough to go somewhere safe, sit in a parking lot, find the leak, plug the tire, fully air it up, and go on about your life without being on the side of the road. To me, that's incredibly, incredibly valuable. And in most instances, if you just have the compressor, you can probably get home. I mean, unless you're completely down to the rim, you can probably just add some air and get home. Um, This worked out great for us. When we moved down here, we brought one of the the, the blue truck first. We had it loaded up. We got a low tire. On the way here during that move, I've got the truck loaded. I got a trailer behind it. We pulled over to the side of the road. I aired it up. Didn't even care. Got here. It's like, what are you gonna do about it? I'll worry about it after we get the damn truck unloaded. I mean, that's what this type of flexibility does for you. And it's why I recommend it be part of your everyday preps. And the 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 viair one I have, the larger model, um, I haven't tried it, but I'm pretty sure it's powerful enough. I could shoot nails with a standard nail gun out of it. Uh, just to give you an idea of how good a piece of equipment it is on the plug kit. Don't really care. I'm recommending the Victor cause it's cheap. Seven bucks free shipping, eight plugs. If you need to use eight plugs, you got a problem. Um, there's better ones with little cases and stuff like that, but just make sure you have a plug kit in your vehicles. It just, it just makes sense in an air compressor. The next item I have for you is TARD bank line and there's all different sizes and you know, numbers, the larger the number, the higher the diameter of it and the, and the higher the test uh, is. In other words, it's breaking strength. I like number 12. It's pretty thin, but you can use multiple pieces of it for just about anything, and it's easy to work with. This is the key with tarred bank line. Just because it says tarred bank line doesn't mean it's tarred bank line. So what is tarred bank line? It's it's basically braided uh, cord that's then coated with a tar mixture, and that's where it breaks down. If you go to Walmart and buy a, a reel of tarred bank line, you, 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 it looks black, but it's not got tar on it. I, I've never bought any of it in, in, in Academy Sports and Outdoors, Walmart. I've never bought this stuff and actually had it been tarred bank line. Um, the only stuff that I that I recommend anymore because I know it's good is made by Catahoula Manufacturing or CMI, and I have a link to 1600 feet of it, number twelve, for twenty nine ninety nine, uh, with free shipping on Amazon. I love paracord because it's fun to play with. It looks cool. It does great things. Yes, I know you can pull it apart, and there's seven little pieces in there, and you can splice them together. I even made a video doing that, catching fish in a creek, uh, and using it to make jug lines and stuff like that, but it's kind of a pain in the ass, just to be honest with you. Um, it, it, it's, it's hard to get it to really bind things together. This stuff, because of the tar, it sticks to itself. It doesn't untwist. It's fantastic, and you can do so. You make limb lines with it, trot lines with it. You can bind together materials, making lean tos, things like that. And you know, 1,600 feet of it will take up less space than like 300 feet of uh of paracord. And you don't have to buy a reel that big of it. You know, whatever works for you is, is what I say to buy in this stuff. I just want to be clear. Catahoula Manufacturing. That's the only one that I know 100% of the time is actually tar-coated. And that tar-coating is the entire reason you want this stuff. When you cut most twine like this, the first thing that happens is the end starts fraying and unwinding. And that's just not what you're looking for. And then as you're trying to bind something, it just doesn't kind of tighten up on itself. This stuff will do that for you. And again, 100-pound tensile strength on the number 12, you can go up to like number 36, which is like 600 pounds, 500 pounds. You, you, you With know, a couple of pieces of that, you could probably pull a car if you had to. Um, but I like the smaller stuff because I use it for binding things together, making structures, quick repairs, things like that. It's an item with a million-one uses. It's so cheap, and you can get so much of it for so little money. And then once you, if you buy that big 1,600-foot roll, you, know, you can spool off 50-foot hanks of it and you know tie it, you know hold it together with one of those reusable zip ties I talked about in the center and then put it in a bag or a kit or what have you and always have some of it around. That's another reason I really like it. But um, I use it for making jug lines for fishing for catfish using swim noodles. Uh, It works fantastic for that with a little swivel and a a hook. Uh, For jug fishing, uh, I've used it definitely to make trot lines. I've used it for just a ton of stuff. It's it's my go-to twine. And I think if you try it, you'll understand. Some people complain that it smells. It smells like tar because it's got tar on it. Um, But it's not like it's some kind of toxic thing or something like that. There were some people that made some reviews on Amazon like, I opened it up and every member of my family broke out in hives or some stupid shit on Dude, I think your family's got some real problems if you broke out in hives over this stuff. You know, um, That said, it's not something I would like, make a hammock out of and sleep in. It's not for that. It is tar, for God's sakes. Next up, I bet you use garden hoses for all types of things, like moving water from one place to another, because without a hose, that's a problem. Uh, over the years, I have come to the conclusion that the more money you spend on a hose, it's probably the better off that you are. Uh, So they won't kink, they don't you know, break, what have you. They last longer. But inevitably, even the best hoses will tend to have problems. Like, I don't know, your wife might take your Husqvarna lawn tractor and drive over the end of one and knock the end off it or something. I'm just saying, that could happen. Um, Or it actually just wears out from usage. And I've tried multiple different types of hose menders, and what I've always found to work best are brass fittings, that use a steel um, uh, hose clamp that you put on with a you know uh, screwdriver, but don't use a screwdriver, use a nut driver. They're usually like I don't know, they're like five, six millimeters something like that. Little nut driver on them, and then you can really tighten them down. Um, I found on and I usually you know if I go buy them at a store, they usually like three bucks for you know a female end or a male end or uh, a, 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 a what do you call it, a splicer. So a splicer just basically has two ends, and when you have a hose with a hole in the center, you can cut the, two, the damaged parts off and put two clamps on it, and then you, you mend the hose together that way. And I found a, a set like that with free shipping on Amazon that has one of each for 625 So I bought four of them and put them in my, my repair cabinet with all my plumbing stuff here on the, on the farm. So if a hose goes bad, I just go in and get the part that I need and fix it. If I use, use more than two of those parts, I'll order another one the next time I'm ordering something else. Keep it in stock like you would if it was a store because I look at my, my home as a place of business, and this is a key critical component to what I'm doing. So this is a fantastic thing to have around. It also lets you do things like this. Have you ever thought, I really don't need a 100-foot hose, but the 100-foot good hose is, is, is less expensive than two of the 50-foot ones? Cut it in half and put a female end on one and a male end on the other and go on about your life because these things work well, these brass fitting ones. Forget the plastic ones. Forget the ones with like the big honking thing with the two screws on it that clamps down. Forget all that. Brass and hose clamps is the way to go. Uh, With a ferrule, with a rib ferrule that you insert into the hose. So I, I really recommend you pick some of these up. Again, I don't care if you buy this on Amazon. If you want to go down to Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, just look at my picture on Amazon. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You might feel you don't need the the, the splicer one for putting two back together. You just need some ends to have around. That is generally where the problems occur. Uh, but I think you'll find that if you buy the in individually, it'll cost more than buying the three-pack on Amazon. And since the shipping's free and you don't have to go to Lowe's and deal with people, that's what I personally prefer to do. But a hose kit. Uh, in fact, several of them, because it is such a critical element. And imagine needing to move water uh, during some kind of problem. Like, I have rain tanks. I have 7,000 gallons of range catchment. Uh, I don't even need to run the pump. I can move water just from pressure anywhere on the house. But I might need 300 feet of hoses put together to do that. Now i got a broken hose. And now water's leak Even if it works, it's leaking out when it, it's, it's, it's really necessary at this point in time. So, just really recommend these this is again, an everyday prep. Next, if you wear glasses, please have multiple pairs of glasses. I have, like, a half a dozen pairs. And you might be, oh, my God, that's expensive. No, it's not. Because I bought most of those extra pairs, I think, for 14 or $15 a pair. The website to use for this is Zeni Optical. that's Z-E-N-N-I, optical.com, Z-E-N-N-I-O-P-T-I-C-A-L.com. As long as you have your prescription, and then you will need to know the distance between your pupils. I think that's called OD or something like that. Um, And you can do that, and it's in millimeters, and you can do that by having somebody hold a ruler up and get it approximately so you pick the right size frames. Once you have that, you can order glasses from Xenia Optical, all of them that you want to. Now, you can spend $100 a pair on glasses there if you start upgrading the lenses and stuff like that. But most of the good frames, you know, are like, $8, $10, Eight ten dollars, and then standard lenses are another eight ten bucks. Um, I have some just plain old standard ones. I have the ones that tint and in the sun, and I don't even like those anymore. So now what I did is I went out and I got the same frames with dark tint and uh, polarization. So when you're fishing, you can see underwater. It reduces glare. Or you're driving in the sun. So I have prescription sunglasses that were twenty bucks, and I have just standard pres- prescription glasses. I think they were twelve ninety five, and there's. Tons of options there. I will never buy glasses from my eye doctor again. I talked to an eye doctor about this. He said, you know, that's how we make a lot of our money. And I'm like, okay, well, listen, if I was buying a glasses that I could get for $15, 20 online from you, and I was paying 30 or 40 bucks for them or something like that, I could understand, you know, personalized service, you fit them to my face, whatever. But when you're selling those same glasses for 200 to $300, I can't justify it. I'm sorry. I'm not here for the purpose of keeping you in business selling glasses for too much money. And he didn't like that. But that's the truth. I, I can't see spending hundreds of dollars for something I can get for 20 bucks. And I can't tell the difference. You know, I can't tell the difference at all between... The glasses I bought there, and the glasses I've gotten from from an eye doctor. You know, you can give me a prescription. You can check my eyes. You can tell me if my eyes change. I'll handle getting my own glasses. Uh, they come in a hard case with a cleaning rag. So you get a set of these glasses, and uh, they come in that case. Put them on. Make sure they work for you. Put them back in the case. Put a set in your put a set in, in the glove box of your, all your vehicles. You get in your vehicle, you wear glasses. You're supposed to wear glasses when you drive. I don't need glasses. I'm not wearing my glasses right now. I actually don't like glasses for reading from a computer screen. I always take them off for that. So there's And I, I'm not blind, so I walk around without my glasses on. I need to run to the store. I get in the car. Uh, I, I pull out of the gate, lock the gate, and I'm like, oh, I don't have my glasses. Damn it, I really should. Oh, boom, glasses on, done. Um, if you are ever in an emergency and you have your glasses damaged or lost, and you can't replace them, it could be a really bad thing for those of us that are vision impaired. So I cannot recommend Zany Optical high enough. I have no affiliation with that site whatsoever. Uh, I just think they belong there. Uh, One thing that can happen when we drive without glasses is we can get in wrecks, and there's all different types of ways that we can get into situations where we have bleeding. And I believe that the absolute best tool to deal with bleeding in most instances is the product known as Israeli battle dressings. I won't be labeled exactly what they are. I'll just tell you that they are a great bandage, compression bandage for bleeding wounds. And you can get three of them for 30 bucks on Amazon. And there's a lot of different places you can get them. I don't care where you get them, but if you're not uh, familiar with Israeli battle bandages, um, Go look at them so you know what they are uh, on Amazon, and then get them wherever you want them from. I believe in this one because it can save a life, It, it, it and it's happened. And it, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to include uh, something like Quick Clot or something like that as part of your medical kit. But, you know, these you keep in the glove box. These you keep in the medical kit. Uh, I know people that kind of are the, like totally tactical guys that wear the pants with all the pockets, and they always have one on them. Uh, just in case it's necessary. Um, there was a listener that wrote in recently that uh, at a sporting event, one of the kids was climbing in a dumpster looking for stuff and gashed their head and was bleeding really bad. Uh, and they ended up using one of these to to put on that. I'm not sure exactly how well it would work for a head, but that was the story anyway. Um, they just are something you should have in your kit. And I'll leave it at that. But to me, this is something, you know, pick up a dozen of these things and and have them wherever you might need them uh, because they, in fact, not only can but have saved lives uh multiple times. And if you couple that with a clotting agent, you wouldn't always have to use that clotting agent, but it would probably not be a bad thing to have something like a quick clot or similar as well. And now going to something totally different, um, I believe that you should have some way to deal with small pests. Especially if you had like a long-term situation where rats were becoming a problem, they could either be a source of disease or, I hate to say it, but a source of food. Rat is eaten all over the world. Um, especially those delicious little rats that live in trees with bushy tails we call squirrels. But I think it makes sense to have a, a gun that is capable of taking small game that everybody should have one. And I think it makes sense for that gun to be something that if you have gun and ammo you're good. You don't need anything else. You don't need CO2. I think it should be relatively quiet, and I think it should have the ability to be adjustable in its 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 power. So it could be something that would just annoy something and make it go away or something that would embed a pellet deep in it. And I think if you're going to go with pellets, you want to step up to 22 caliber. They are, I've shot a lot of things. Some I'm ashamed to admit of when I was a kid with pellets and BBs. And I can tell you flat out a 22 pellet, even at a significantly lower velocity is a much better tool for dispatching small animals within a one seven seven pellet. There used to be a lot of options, with 22 caliber pellets in what are, what are called variable pump, and variable pump is exactly what it sounds like there's a pump, and you pump that up. You can do a couple pumps, and you have a really, you know, light uh, impact. You pump it 10 pumps, you get full speed. But the only one I know of left is made by Crossman. It's after they 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 merged with Benjamin Sheridan. It's the Benjamin 392 bolt action variable pump 22. They sell for 160 bucks. I I like this better if you're only going to have a single uh, air rifle than the brake barrels. Everybody went to brake barrel. Gammo kind of pioneered that RWS as well. And now Daisy and Crossman and everybody's gone to brake barrel. They're loud. They're loud. They only have one setting. They have a forward recoil, and they destroy scopes. This gun's really not meant to be scoped, so that's kind of irrelevant there. But forward recoil is so hard on scopes, it's it's, it's really kind of shocking. Um, this just works, and it works all the time. I had, when I was a kid, and I think my uncle has this gun now, an old Crossman that was the original gun that this came from. So Crossman and Benjamin have this intertwining past. Um, and I carried that thing all over the place. If I didn't have my 22 rifle, I had this thing. It's lightweight. That's the other thing I don't like about the, the brake barrels. They're generally pretty heavy. Um, and kind of to me, why am I carrying around a pellet gun that weighs more than my 030 That's That's kind of never made sense to me. This thing weighs 5.5 pounds. It's wooden steel. Uh, that's another big thing that I like about it. And I, I highly recommend it as, you know, a pest control thing. But this could be, in certain situations, a food gathering tool. They're, 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 I've, I've shot squirrels with this thing, and they go you hit them in the head, they're dead, like instantly. Uh, I killed a raccoon with one of these. Now, it had to be a head shot, and it wasn't a quick clean kill, but it certainly completely incapacitated the animal. One follow-up shot, we're done. You hit a rat with this thing, if you hit them in the middle, it tears them apart. Um, and it's fun to use because it has the variable pump. What it enables a lot of you to do that might have complaining neighbors because they hear bam, bam is double pump target shooting pap pap versus plack, okay. And there are times where two pumps, three pumps are plenty to get the job done to kill smaller animals and are less disturbing to other animals around the area. You have that flexibility. I don't know of another variable pump, 22 pellet gun still being made. And that's why I'm recommending this one. By the way, if you do want to scope this, they, they do make a mount for scopes for this gun. I don't think it's necessary, but I'll include a link to where you can get those mounts as well. They basically clamp on to the upper tube that's that's uh, back where the bolt is. I've never used them. The reviews are good, but I've never used them. So I don't know well how well they work. Um, again, air rifles tend to be harder on scopes and moving mounts than firearms because they recoil in a strange way. Since this is truly... An air gun instead of an air piston gun, it probably has less impact on that forward recoil, but it's still going to have what you call a forward recoil. Uh, a lot of the brake barrel guns, what they've done now to is a stop. So you have your clamp on scope mounts to the groove of receiver, and then there's a stop that goes in front of the front ring that is like, you know, think of it like putting two nuts on a single bolt to keep one, like to make a lock nut. That's basically what they've done there, is by having two up against each other, you have less likelihood for that scope mount itself to move forward and lose zero. It's a pellet gun, okay? It's not a 100-yard tool. It's a pellet gun. It's something to shoot 15, 20, 35 yards with, accurate enough to kill small game with. If you can't hit with that with iron sights, it's not the gun's fault, and the scope's not going to fix it for you. This is a great training tool for your kids, it will last a long time. Again, the original one I had was from the 60s. I used it through the 80s. As far as I know, my my, my uncle still has it. Um, it's a good-looking tool, and it might be one of those things to get now because if it is the last of its kind, and I, I think that it is, they may go away forever at some point, and uh, it may be one of those things you wish you had bought while you had the opportunity. Link uh, to the gun and the scope mounts in the show notes. Uh, on On pellets... There's hollow-point pellets, pointed pellets, flat-point. I don't think it really matters. It's a pellet. It's only got so much energy to, to work with in the first place. It's a pellet. right? So I just I buy whatever. I usually generally just buy um, the flat-point pellets because you're looking for impact with a pellet gun. It's, 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 a, it's an impact thing and a tearing thing. It doesn't have the ballistic velocity to expand. So when you have something like a squirrel and you, you, you can't get a headshot and you shoot through the lungs, you have that flat pellet and it's going through at a modest velocity, 600 feet per second, it's going to take lung with it out the exit hole. So, so I just go with plain old flat point or round point pellets. Next up, I think everybody should have critical data information available to them at all times on a USB drive. Uh, on my USB drive, I even keep a copy of OpenOffice, which is a free operating system analogous to Microsoft, uh, you know, Windows. Um, we, it has basically a spreadsheet like Excel, word processor like, uh, like Word, etc. on it. Uh, I keep pictures on it, I keep critical information on it. And all I do to protect my data on it, and this is, again, not NSA proof or anything, but I just encrypt folders. So I have a folder with certain things, and I'll put a password on that folder, and I might even put a folder in that folder and password protect that folder. So you have folder, you know, or do- password protect the documents. It's pretty easy to right-click and, and assign a password to it. Um, and, you know, I mean, my my concern is really there's not anything on there that's too critical. I don't keep things like bank account numbers or um, social security numbers or things like that. If I do have any critical numbers on there, I use what I call off base numeric encryption that's basically in your head. And you know, either use a two or a three or whatever. And if you did that and your number was, you know, two, four, five, and you were using a two off, you would go four, six, uh, seven, right? And, and then you know that so that number doesn't work. Another thing you can do if you use bank account numbers and you don't want people to get to them, if you look at the way a bank account number is, you can usually add one to it and then put some dashes. It looks like a phone number. So make it look like a phone number and then do your, your one off encryption. Uh, so that it, you know, looks like a phone number. And if your account number is short or whatever, add a zero to the end of it. And then if somebody sees Bank of America and this number, it looks like a phone number. It doesn't look like an account number. Even if they tried it as an account number, it's not going to work. So those are some ways you can you can add some security to any critical information, but just photographs and things like that. Uh, I, this is not as critical as it used to be. I mean, I have a 20, 128 gig iPhone now, and I pay for the additional backup. So all of the stuff that's on the phone is also on the hard drive of my Mac computer, and it's also on you know iCloud or whatever. Um, but still, this is uh, two is one, one is none, three is for me, four is even more, five keeps you alive, six is the kicks, seven is heaven, eight is great. Nine is fine. Ten, start again. Okay, I just made that up. Anyway, um, it is that additional redundancy, and it, it, it's 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 data that is portable. And I have the of uh, the 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 128 gig version of the Survivor drive. That's a lot of data. They make it up to a 256 gig drive. Uh, I have a link to the 32 gig. That's 21 bucks. That's probably enough for most people. The 256 gig version is 100. 98. 95. But you, you can pick your own. And you don't have to go to the Survivor drive. You can use any USB drive you want. The reason I like this thing, it's in a tube. It's got gaskets. It screws shut solid. It's waterproof. You can use the damn thing as an impact weapon on your keychain. It's basically like having a little coup baton. Uh The one thing I'll warn you, when you get it, it comes with this little split ring. That you have to put on it, and then that split ring can go on to a keyring. It's a pain in the ass to get it on. The, it doesn't come on the end cap. But once it's on there, it does its job. It's pretty badass. It's it's the toughest USB drive I've found. You know, when somebody calls something the survive drive or the survival drive or the survivor in this case, I'm always like, yeah, it's marketing. But in this case, it's 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 marketing, but it's honest marketing. So it's my favorite tool for this use. And I recommend you have some data redundancy outside of just your phone. And yes, I know you can use the cloud for things now, and I totally, totally, totally agree with that. I use you know, backup systems for all my data and what have you, but I may be somewhere and have access to a computer but not access to a network. And then I have all of this data redundancy. Next up, I wanted something that would be a little bit fun in this list that I really felt that I could tell everybody out there to buy, whether you have kids or not and read it for how it will open your mind and expand your mind and show you how far we've come from who we used to be. This book is originally made in the 1880s, and it's called The American Boy's Book. There are a very few negative reviews of it on Amazon. I think there's seven. And that's okay, because of those reviews... Six of them are accurate. What they say is do not buy the Kindle version of this book. My estimate is that this book is now public domain. I had a friend that introduced me to this book. He had an original copy. I tried to get him to sell it to me and he wouldn't do it. I, that was like something I wanted to put, you know, up on my special bookshelf and have as a collectible. Cause it was in really good shape. But what I did is I went out and bought the reprint. What the negative reviews say, is the Kindle version sucks. It's all whacked out. And I think somebody probably just scanned it and threw it up there as a Kindle version because it's open source or public domain at this point. But you can buy the paperback or the hard copy, and I'd recommend the hard copy. I think this is going to be a book you're going to want to keep for a while. But I'm going to give you my biggest reason to buy this book is the one negative review that's actually about the book itself Not about the Kindle version. Somebody bought the the, the hard copy or the paperback. And this is why you should buy it. This review is from 2001, by the way. I was really disappointed in this title. It was written in 1890, and it's totally outdated. As an interesting browse in the library or bookstore, maybe, the stuff it talks about is simply impractical for most kids. Topics range from taxidermy at home, raising wild birds, to making blowguns. I was looking for things I could do with my young kids, and this didn't fit the bill for me. Do you get why you should get it now? I learned about some cool things in this. I was the master of making weapons and hunting tools as a kid. I made all kinds of stuff as a kid. My dad showed me how to make an apple thrower out of a sapling, and I adapted it with a rock, with a hole that I made, in the hole in the rock to something that you could knock the shit out of an animal with, and I'll tell you how you do the apple throw. You can figure the rest of this out, right? And other things that could go on the end of a sapling to do this. You take about a six-foot sapling, and you want something with flex in it, but about the flex of like a heavy bait casting rod, and you cut a sharp point on it. And then you find an apple tree with like crappy apples on it. Like we had them all over the place. You'd call them like, you know, you know uh, windfall apple-type trees. They were all over because people just ate apples and threw them on the ground, and some of a bitch, some of them grew And they all made all these terrible apples that were actually pretty good apples, but a lot of them would be kind of falling earlier, have some worm damage or whatever. And there were so many of them, now you could do this with them. So you take that apple and you shove it on the end of the stick. And you hold it like an overhand cast for a bait casting rod with your two thumbs up and your hands down. And you look out in the distance at something and you cast, just like a fishing pole. You bring it down and you stop. And that apple comes flying off of there like a bullet. And my dad shows me how to do this, and within like a day, I'm knocking freaking coffee cans off of tree stumps like 30 yards away with an apple off the end of a stick. That's where I got creative with it. My friends and I used to like throw apples at each other with these things. Like my dad shows me how to do this, and the next day we're throwing apples at each other and bruising each other from like 50 yards away. Okay? But it was fun. All right? That's not in this book. But I'm just giving you kind of a frame of reference for I learned how to do stuff with this book. One of the things I learned is called a sling bow, not the type that uh, that Dave Canterbury makes with a slingshot. It's basically you take a sapling, kind of like I'm talking about, a good taunt one, and you put a string on one end of it, and you make small arrows, and you hold it with your right hand, and you pull back with your left, and it, it slings an arrow. Good enough to take rabbits at, you know, like 10, 15 feet, which stalking rabbits in fields, if you know what you're doing, you can easily get that close to them. That's just one example. This book is awesome. It's not what a customer was expecting because it's impractical. It's not impractical for today's kids. Society is impractical for today's kids. Get this book, take a walk through history, learn some really cool stuff, and spend some time with your kids teaching them how to do really, really interesting, cool stuff. And know that it upsets people that are politically correct, so you feel even better about owning a copy. Isn't it great that 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 negative review sells it better than I ever could? I just think it is. Let's go on to the next one. Um, The next one is tea lights. Now, a lot of you probably have these. But I couldn't leave it off my list because I know how many people don't, and I know that every time that my wife drags me to a place like a craft store or something, and we're coming to check out, and they have like a big giant bag of tea lights for four bucks on sale, I grab, and she says, "Don't we have enough of those?" And I say, "Nope, we don't. will never have enough." Anyway, I do have a really good deal on them I found on Amazon. How about two hundred of them in a brick pack where they'll stack nicely for twenty three bucks? Uh, a pure paraffin ones with six to seven hour burn time each. Um, that said remember what I said this is not go shop in Jack's Amazon store right um, a lot of times these are on sale stupid sheep at the craft stores and stuff so guys the next time you're drugged to one you get some tea lights for your preps they do so many cool things along with just providing light um, Stephen Harris has said you know, the, making the heaters out of them with the the ceramic pots doesn't work I'm sorry Steve you're wrong it does work it provides a great amount of radiant heat. Um, I've actually tested small rooms, two identical small rooms in my home, side by side, put two of these heaters in one and didn't put them in the other, had all the heat shut off upstairs, and there was a noticeable difference in the temperature of the room. Uh, that, that difference was about 8 degrees. But the the, the the issue there is not just the the air temperature, but the radiant heat. And they do work for that purpose. They work for a lot of other great things. I've seen people cook with them, uh, at least warm stuff with them and what have you. They are a source of wax. They're a great tool for starting fires. So, I mean, one of the really great things you can do with a tea light or two when you're wanting to start a fire is you just make your little bed of kindling and I'll pop two tea lights in there and light them. I mean they're cheap why not you know it's going to work so uh, they're just a quick one I won't say much more about it because I know most of you probably keep those as part of your preps anyway but for those of you that don't if you've ever wondered why you see grown men excited at you know like MJ Designs or something or Michaels whatever it's called grabbing two bags of tea lights and throwing them in the carton and their woman looking at them like really more of those this is why this is why And the last item, I I almost left this item off the list because of the time of the year that it is. Um, It's just not what you're thinking about now. But that's when maybe we should be thinking about things. Portable heat, I believe, is one of the things that can save lives. Every year, not only do we have power outages where people die because they're very, very cold, but people do stupid things when it gets cold, like try to make heaters in a bad way or turn their gas oven on and open the door uh, or turn their oven on, their gas oven on, get it really hot in there, shut it off and open the door. Um, I, I, I've seen all types of things, people running generators and then running their stove off their generator with the door open on the oven to heat a kitchen. I mean, people using fire in bad ways and end up asphyxiating themselves or what have you, and it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. I I actually think probably one of the best things you can do for heat redundancy is good quality modern kerosene heaters and a good storage of kerosene. Um, But there's a little bit of a learning curve. And the the tool I own that I use to stay warm when it's cool or to heat, like if, if I have a person that's like, it's cold, go in that room, and I'll put this in there with you, what have you, is Mr. Heater's Portable Big Buddy Propane Heater. It's a, We're back to the best value uh, for the cost that I can find. Uh, it can run on one or two of the small propane bottles, or you can get an adapter for it that I recommend. It'll run on a 15-gallon f- propane tank. If you do that, it runs for a damn long time. It does use batteries, but that is just for the startup, so it uses very little energy. It, you can buy a little plug-in adapter for it. You can plug it in the wall and not use the batteries. I really don't recommend that. We should all have extra batteries on storage all the time. Okay, it's a ceramic face heater it has great control it is indoor safe it heats up to 400 square feet if it gets knocked over it shuts off if it has, a, it has a detector on it to detect low oxygen levels it shuts off it's inherently safe I've never heard of anybody burning their house down or affixating themselves or harming themselves in any way with one of these heaters um, Mr. Heater makes a bunch of different ones but the Big Buddy is the one that I recommend. It's got enough power to make it worth using. Uh, some of the smaller ones are fine in a hunting blind or something like that. But this, this is great. Um, I've used this in my 800 square foot workshop. And I'm not saying it heats the whole thing. But the area you're in, you're nice and warm when it's really, really cold outside. Um, it's, we used it in Arkansas during our very long term uh, iced caused, uh, damage to, uh, the electricity. We were without power for almost two weeks. Uh, we, between that and the fireplace, we were warm and toasty the whole time. Um, it's just a great tool. I know it's not something you probably need right now. In fact, I would tell you, given it is about to be summer, you probably don't need to even think about buying this. But if you're planning your, pre- you know, adding to your preps going forward, you might want to schedule this thing in for like early fall. Because it's one of those things where you can be miserable and you don't have to be miserable. You you just really don't. And it is an everyday item. For some reason, every home we've ever owned, the room I select for my office is the room that is the hottest in spite of the central air being on in the summer and the coldest in the winter. And let me tell you, it's got to be cold for me to be uncomfortable. I... If it wasn't for the electric bill, how high that would go, I'd probably have my, like, my my air conditioner set on 64 degrees year-round. And so you can imagine that if the house is set on like 68 in the winter and I'm in my office and I'm cold, the temperature is probably down near 60 uh, or maybe even lower before I'm cold. When it gets like that, and this, this, this winter it didn't, but when it does, I go out in the garage, I get my Mr. Heater, I bring it in here, I set it on my floor, I put it on low, and uh, after a little bit I shut it off because it's toasty as heck in here. This is uh, this room's, uh, what is it, 11 by 12, so it's 133 square feet, something like that. Uh, so it's a pretty small room when it can heat up to 400. Um, but I've set this in the living room when the power was out in an open concept home, and that living room was really nice and really warm, and all you had to do is walk into the next room and are like, yeah, it's cold in here. I didn't think it was, but yeah, it is. So this is a great tool. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. Again, this was not a shopping list. Um, it's not, a you know, uh, infomercial type show, but all of these items have hyperlinks where you can go see them and consider adding them to your preps. Uh, this is one kind of show you may want to just make a copy of those links and save them and consider these in the future. This might be a show you listen to more than once because we covered a lot of information. I really had a lot of fun doing it. I put a lot of time into this show. Um, I own a lot of things for preparedness and, and just to make daily life better. And I wanted to go through all of them and find the ones that I found to be the most useful, the best value over the years, that have done the most for me and my family, that do get used during and not during emergencies and are not the typical things that we always talk about with storing food, water, you know, energy, security, that type of thing. So hopefully you've enjoyed today's show. With that, I want to remind you, if you want to support the show and the work I do, there's two really great ways to do that. One is to become a member support brigade member where you can get great discounts on all of the stuff that we talk about all of the time on the survival podcast from our supporting vendors uh, and a lot of other great benefits as well like every show of the every episode of the show ever produced in zip files um, some video content that's available nowhere else some documents that are available nowhere else uh, some stuff that's free that you'd have to buy in other places uh, two hundred dollars worth of ebooks you get free on day one it's fifty dollars a year or five dollars a month to become a member just go to SurvivalPodcast.com click on members to learn more about that and um, and the other way is, you know, I said a lot of these links are on Amazon. If you're going to buy any, you're going to say, I don't need any of that. i got it all covered. The next time you're going to shop on Amazon, just go to tspaz.com. And when you do that, shop on Amazon like you always do. We'll get credit for your purchases on Amazon, and we'll make some affiliate commission on that. And that's an easy way to do it. And, it's, in fact, it's tspaz, right? If you want to remember it, instead of tspaz, tspaz, tspaz has one less letter than Amazon, so you actually do less work to help support our show by you know, shopping on Amazon and supporting TSP when you do that. Uh, next up, I want to uh, mention the TSP Business Directory and our featured member of the directory today. Today is one that will help all you web entrepreneurs out there out. It's, the company is called Vibly. It's a rights-managed stock photography company listed in the TSP directory. If you need photos for your upcoming book or website, check them out on our directory. And remember, you can find a way and do business with other members of our community at tspbiz.com. That's our, our community business directory. And uh, you can get your business listed in the directory and eventually featured on the show, just like Vibly did today, for as little as five bucks. With that, next up today's closing song. Um, I recently played, uh, Tequila Sunrise off the Common Threads, the cover version of the Eagles' original song, and I had mentioned that there was a lot of really great, uh, musicians that did that tribute album to the Eagles, and that, you know, the the rock music of the 70s that the Eagles were a part of really was the genesis of the modern country music. Not so much the crappy pop country that people are putting out today, this crossover garbage. But country like Alabama in the eighties, I mean that came right out of that 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 classic rock of the seventies. There's a lot of similarities there. And I really enjoyed that that tribute album and there's some songs in there I really, really like, and some that I think they're okay, but the original was much better. Probably the best song on Common Threads from the Eagles is Clint Black's version of Desperado. I've loved that song since the first time I heard it. And if anybody's ever actually done the song better, better than the Eagles did in the original, it was Clint Black with his version from Common Threads. And that's what I'll close up the song with to you today. But, you know, what what I love about that song, and its, it's meanings have changed for me over the years, when I was a young, arrogant, 20-something, um, hitting on girls in bars, I kind of saw myself as the character that way, and... Uh, that was egotistical and wrong, but it was part of why I liked it. It just the sound of it was great. But today, you know, I think about freedom uh, totally different than I did when I was 20. And in this song, it's freedom. That's just some people talking. Your prison is walking through this world all alone. And it makes me think of the question I answered yesterday about the person saying, I'm pursuing my dreams, but my wife and daughter don't feel like I'm spending enough time with them. Um, in our quest to build businesses, in our quest to make ourselves more prepared, in our quest to to do all of these things that take time and energy and effort and are worth doing, we need to not lose sight of the fact that without other people in our lives, it's really not what we're looking for. And, and that's what this song means to me today. So keep working, keep building your, your, your life toward your dreams. And And there are times when, you know, for every man that works hard, there's a woman in his life that says he works too much. And, and ladies, I'll tell you, the alternative is a guy that doesn't work enough. And that's a hell of a lot worse. But there is a point to to focus on those around you to the exclusion of other things and to find that balance so that you don't end up being the desperado in the words of this song. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
0: Desperado Why don't you come to your senses You've been out riding fences For so long now Oh, you're a hard one But I know who that you've got your reasons and these things that are pleasing you Can hurt you somehow Don't you draw the queen of diamonds board She'll beat you if she's able And you know the queen of hearts Is always your best bet Now it seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table, but you only want the ones that you can't get. Desperado, oh you ain't getting no younger. Your pain and your hunger, you're dry. Home. And freedom, oh freedom, well that's just some people talking Your prison is walking through this world all alone Don't you peek it cold in the time? The sky won't snow and the sun won't shine It's hard to tell the night time from the day. Raining, but there's a rainbow above you. You better let somebody love you. Let somebody love you. you better let somebody love you before it's too late.